Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commands. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this life that you offer us, Lord, where your word says that we, Lord, can go into your courts I read this morning about a man who grew up in the, the courts of Pharaoh, who was the most powerful king on the, on the earth, but Lord, you are the king of the universe. And I, we just pray, Lord, this morning that you would teach us about your courts, that offer that you have to every man or woman in this room to come in right into the throne room of you, the living God, Lord, I pray that you would meet us here this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Dave, in the announcements this morning, spoke about the voice of the martyrs. Uh, it's a day of fasting, and you may say, well, fasting, that's for ascetics and monks and uh, people like that. Oh, well, but I would, uh, you know, the Bible does uh, speak very clearly that uh, Christians in the year 2009 need to be fasting as the Lord leads. And I would really like you to consider seriously joining in on that. If you want to know just what it means to fast or how to fast, you can uh, let me know. But next Sunday, we're going to be doing that. You know, the book of Hebrews is a letter written to... Uh, it was written to a persecuted church, and that is what the voice of the martyrs reaches out to, the persecuted church. The letter was written to Jewish Christians uh, living probably in Jerusalem 30 or 40 years after the death of Christ. At that time, if you were a Jew you, uh, and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you would have faced certain persecution. Typically, you would be banished from the Jewish temple and the uh, Jewish community, which may not seem very devastating to uh, you and I today, but their lives revolved around the temple. Their business uh, was able to survive based upon sort of the temple life that uh, revolved around it. Uh, if you gave your life to Christ, you were considered dead in the eyes of your family, even today, some Orthodox Jewish communities have a funeral for those who turn to Christ. Same type of thing happened in the first century. Or if you gave your life to Christ, you simply might be killed. You, or perhaps 
uh, as happened to some of the Jewish Christians who received this letter, uh, you may have had your possessions and property pillaged, confiscated, plundered. And all this, of course, begs the question, you know, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking, why would anyone give their life to Christ knowing that these kind of things, these kind of consequences are awaiting them, are awaiting uh, them because of making a decision for Christ. Why, why would they do that? The Economist magazine, last week's uh, edition, had an article entitled, Almost Expunged meaning almost eliminated. It's an article about uh, Christianity in Somalia. Christianity in Somalia has almost been expunged, eradicated, eliminated, because the Islamist uh, uh, militia there in uh, Somalia, part of their platform, we speak of political platforms. What's the Democratic Party's platform? What's the Republican Party's platform? Well, this militia's platform is to hunt down and kill Christians. And the article is just talking about there's uh, a number each month. There's only about a thousand left in the whole country, not a single church building left in Somalia. They have all been destroyed. No public church meetings in the entire country. The article reported that one of the people who was hunted down, I think, last month and killed was a 69-year-old man uh, who was carrying around a bag filled with Bibles. Why would he do that? Why would he be doing that? Why do such a thing? Why on earth would anyone become a Christian in an environment where they know that this kind of thing is waiting for them? Why would they try to convince someone else to become one? Well, the reason is this. The Bible says that God has put eternity in the heart of man, in the heart of woman. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Men and women are born with a longing for God. And God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to satisfy that longing. God didn't create the world, spin it on an axis, and then take off, leaving us to our best guess to figure out who He is. He didn't do that. He sent His Son to show us exactly who He is. Philip, the Apostle Philip, in John chapter 14 Philip asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And how did Jesus respond to that? He said, Philip, have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Not only is every man and woman born with a longing for God, but every man and woman is born with a conscience. And the conscience has a voice. And when we violate our conscience, when we sin against God, the voice cries out, and it doesn't stop. It 
cries out, day and night, there's judgment for your sin. There's judgment for that sin. There's judgment for that sin. That's what the voice of conscience says. And this voice introduces guilt and conviction into a human life as well as un- the understanding and even a fear that, the, that, that the, there's going to be judgment for that sin. So when a man or woman is presented with Jesus Christ, they're presented with the only one who can ever satisfy their longing for God. They're presented with the uh, one, the only one who can uh, take away the guilt, the fear of judgment, the penalty of sin. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You who are heavy laden with the burden and guilt of sin and the fear of judgment. You who labor to try to get rid of that burden. Come to me and find rest for your soul. Paul in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, God does not give a spirit of fear. No, he released you from a spirit of fear. He gives you, he replaced the spirit of fear with the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So why is it that a person would give their life to to Christ in a world where they may be putting their family in danger, imprisoned, or even killed? Because they're presented with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God the only one who can satisfy their longing for God, who can take away the fear of judgment, which is real because there is judgment for sin, the only one who can take away just the blight of uh, of guilt that sin, sin brings with it. Jesus does that. That's why people are running around with bags of Bibles in Somalia, even though people are trying to hunt them down. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when, uh, who when the merchant uh, found one of great price, he went and sold all that he had to buy it. When a man or woman comes to Christ, they sell everything they have in order to get him. In other words, they give up everything for Christ. So, where are you this morning? You're sitting here, the sanctuary of a church. And then my guess is that you've come here to seek the Lord, seek God. Where are you? In America, you know, you don't have funerals. For those who come to Christ, if you come to Christ, you don't have Islamic militia men hunting you down to kill you. But this you do have in America. You have a thousand pearls next to the pearl of great price. A thousand of them. A thousand different choices other than Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes 
really, I am not sure what's a greater obstacle. And I'm serious about this. Islamic militia men hunting you down or the thousand, the 10,000, the 100,000 choices we have in the United States of America. Pleasure. With a thousand different faces on it. Prosperity. Another thousand different faces. Security, comfort, position. But you know, whether it's Islamic militia men hunting you down or pleasure hunting you down, Jesus' words are the same. Jesus said in all four Gospels, he says this, if you save your life, if you hold on to it, you'll lose it. Speaking of eternity. But if you lose it for my sake, if you give up your right to yourself and let me in to occupy the throne of your life, you will save your life. Have you lost your life for Jesus Christ? He offers you salvation, eternity as a free gift. Can't earn it. Can't deserve it. Can't live enough, a life good enough to go to heaven or have a relationship with God, but he offers it as a free gift. But he is asking to be on the throne of your heart. Are you hanging on to your life? The Jews in the first century who received this letter that's before us, Hebrews, chose Jesus Christ. And we read in chapter 10, verse uh, 24, rather, that so happy were they with the pearl of great price. They were so happy with this pearl. They had been looking for it for so long. It says in verse 24 of chapter 10, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. You know, that can only happen when someone has uh, experienced the Lord, the living God. And they've come to the realization that their goods don't matter anymore. It says with joy they accepted the plundering of their goods, but um, over time, what happened? We've been discussing this as we've been going through this letter. Their joy began to slip away. Why? The persecution just began to take its toll. Months turned into years. Suddenly these Jewish Christians, the Hebrews of the book of Hebrews, were wondering whether it was really worth it. Is this really worth it? And every man or woman who has ever given their life to Christ reaches this place, really, on multiple occasions. Is this really worth it? Did I really mess up big time when I gave my life to Christ, when I opened up my heart and gave him the throne room of my life? I just don't know if this is worth it. Is Jesus Christ, this relationship that I have with him, worth it? So how does God respond to someone who is in this place? Well, that's what this book is all about, the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11, uh, the writer describes the lives of others who have made this decision and who lived out their life by faith, who, yes, came to that time in their life where they too were like, wait a second, is this worth it? But they persevered on in faith. And he begins in chapter 11 
uh, with the lives of Abel, Enoch, Neo, uh, Noah, and Abraham, three of those guys, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham, lived at a time where for, for the most part, they were the only ones on the face of the earth who were walking with God at their time. And so this is just what these Hebrews in first century Jerusalem needed. Because there's, you know, where is it that this kind of discouragement or where discouragement just often takes you? It takes you to the place where you're saying, oh God, I feel like I'm the only person on the face of the earth who's walking the way I'm walking. And how does the Holy Spirit respond to that? He says something like this, well, no, you're not the only one walking with God, but let me introduce you to a few guys uh, who were the only ones on earth walking with God, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. And that's what uh, the writer does in Hebrews chapter 11, verses uh, 5 through 19. Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. And it should be an encouraging chapter for us. Now, there was a time in this country where it seemed, at least, that most everyone had some kind of relationship with God. It's not like that anymore. But we can take comfort from the Word of God in the book of Hebrews. This brings us to men of God like Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. Bible says that at the time of Noah, all the thoughts of man were only evil all the time. Wow, that's some kind of bad neighborhood. So when you're wa- you are walking with God and the world around you is not, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 wants you to know that you're pleasing God. Look at the end of verse 5 and Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5. It says, speaking of Enoch, it says, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. When you're walking with God and the world around you is not, that gives pleasure to the heart of the living God. Let that be an encouragement to you. Let that be an encouragement for you to continue on. I don't know about you, but I want it said of me as it was said of Enoch, before God took Steve away, He pleased God. What a testimony. What a legacy to leave. Verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Oh God, show me what faith looks like because I want to please you. Don't you want to please God? So let's pick up in verse 20, where we began our scripture reading this morning, chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob 
and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. This whole chapter, a description of faith. Faith, that thing. It's a gift of God, but it is what pleases God. And we want to know what it is because we want to please God. So what does this have to say? These verses, 20 through 22, have to say about faith. Well, what Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are doing here is they're passing on their faith to their children their, or their grandchildren. They're blessing them. They're passing on the heritage of walking by faith, walking um, according to the promises of God. And let me tell you, there is something that may be harder than walking by faith with God when no one else around you seems to be. You know what that is? It's passing your faith on to your children when no one else around seems to be walking with God. Having to watch your kids courageously walk alone, it hurts. It really, really does. It takes faith, the kind of faith that pleases God. And I want to say this to all you parents, and I know we have a, a lot of would-be uh, parents in this church. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. Not only because your child's life will be crowned with blessing because of what you pass on to them, and it will be crowned more than they will ever ask or imagine, it will be so like written in stone in the Word of God that this will happen. But also, parents, listen, it pleases the heart of God uh, when you do this. It pleases His heart. It brings pleasure to Him when you pour out your lives into your kids, when you, by faith, day in, day out, year in and year out, make it the rule of your home to say yes to God and no to the world. That pleases the heart of God. And yes, many times your soul will become weary. How many times do I have to hear, Mom, everyone else is doing it. Or Dad, I'm old enough to do that. Oh man, how can I take hearing that any longer? But you press on by faith. 9,999 times, if that's what it takes, to pass on your faith to your children's parent. Parent, it is worth it. The Word of God says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. My favorite which I believe the Lord just spoke prophetically into my life a number of years ago, Isaiah 54, 13 all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be their peace. It's written in stone, parents. 
that you have to, by faith, pass on your faith. You've got to do what it takes. I know Christians, I know missionaries who have said, we don't want our kids to follow the same path we have. It's been too hard. I want something better for them. They will live to regret those words if they have not already, I assure you. They will live to regret those words. So many Christian parents become more concerned that their kids are in the right sports program, never mind if it's on a Sunday morning, more concerned about their kids preparing for a lucrative career, getting into the most elite colleges, more concerned about their kids' popularity, their kids that their kids are accepted, are happy and accepted. They don't pass on their faith to their kids. They don't bless their children as Isaac, Jacob uh, did with the pearl of great price, the only thing that has any lasting value in this world. Pleasing the living God through a life of faith by passing on your faith. Verse 23 continues. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Okay, so I promised you a study in the Old Testament as we're going through this chapter. So go back to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. By this time, the Israelites had come down from the land of Canaan into Egypt. They did so with Jacob and his kids. Joseph had been, you could say, the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, had been the prime minister. He'd been raised up by God. But in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happens in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. And so therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithon and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. And so in verse 22, it says, So uh, Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, speaking of the Jews, every son of the Jews who is born, you shall cast into the river. 
and every daughter you shall save alive. Chapter 2, verse 1, When a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi, so the woman conceived and bore a son. This is Moses. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Okay. So I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for Moses' mother to release him to this, in this way. But let me tell you, she was releasing him to God. What is, back in chapter 11 of Hebrews, what does it say? By faith... When uh, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. They did it by faith. And I can't, they were releasing him to the Lord. And in a real sense, this is what every single one of you parents must do with your own children. You must release them into the hand of God. Are we going to believe parents the promises of God. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he, she should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. As a parent, you have to believe that promise, and you have to release your children to God. If you don't, they'll never develop their own faith They will leave your home someday with only your faith to live on. And let me tell you, no child in the history of the world has ever lived successfully on the faith of their parents. Ever. They must develop their own. Releasing your kids to God, it will be among the greatest challenges of faith you'll ever have. But you need to do it. You know, I remember uh, my son Sam. He's a big guy now. He's about two hairs shorter than me. No, he's not. He's okay, I was thinking about bringing him up here. You guys, can, you guys can be the judge, but I won't do that. But anyway, there was a time when he was a little tyke, little tyke, just an adorable little boy, five years old. We sent him off to kindergarten. You know, man, when you see your kid get on the bus for the first time, oh, this is, well, I'll tell you what I did. So he got on the bus uh, in Mission Hill, and they were going all the way to Chinatown where he was going all the way to Chinatown where his, uh, his school was that he got into, Josiah Quincy. And I said, man, I don't trust these people. I'm following this bus. And so I got into a car, and I actually I didn't follow it. I went ahead of it, and I went and parked, and I hid behind a garbage bin where they were dropping off the kids. <laughs> Okay, now this is a true story. Now, I don't know, how many of you know Josiah Quincy? It's on a major thoroughfare. The south side of the building is a huge five-story wall with no windows in it. Just a glorious city building, you know, it's all yellow. And uh, that's where the, uh, the buses come. It's a major thoroughfare there. The buses come there, drop off the kids, and then they take off. So I'm hi- hiding behind a garbage bin, you know like this. And so I see Sam's bus come. And it, it comes and parks. Uh, by the way, so there's, a, I have to add this, there's this gigantic city wall 
no windows and no doors. And you have to literally go, the kids have to go around the corner of the building, and then around the corner of the building, there's a stairwell that goes up in two or three flights into the school. So I'm sitting there behind the garbage bin. The bus pulls out. You know, all these kids just like compiling off the bus. They take off. Sam is in the middle of them. He gets off. Every single other kid disappears around the corner. There's not a single school administrator there. There's not a single teacher there. The bus takes off. Sam is sitting, five years old, all by himself on the sidewalk going, oh, he's got his lunchbox. You know, what's up with this? This is what school is like? Wow, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, this did not start very well. And, you know, and so I go out and, and, and I get them and, and, and you know, obviously I, I go into the principal and I said, you know, I, I, this is my son's first day of school and, and, and he's out there and there's not a single person from the school waiting for him and all the other kids took off and she was very gracious about it and I understand why this would really upset you, Mr. Cole. Oh boy, uh, that was uh, uh, quite an experience releasing my kids to God. But, uh, but, but here's, here's the fact of the matter, you know. Uh, he was five years old then, but, um, and I released four other kids uh, uh, to, the, to the bus. Every single one, by the way. Every single one. I hid behind that garbage bin. But um, <laughs> there's no way. I still, that thing haunts me to this day. But, 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 but as they, you know, you release them into school... You, you know, I, mean, I can't go every day and, and stand behind the garbage bin and, and, and follow them around. <laughs> and, and, you know, Stephanie and I, we'd like to be there and make the decisions for our kids. We'd like to just follow them around and make their decisions for them. Why? Because we know the Word of God. We know the Word of God says that if they make certain choices, there will be pain and there will be consequences. And we know from our own experience when we did not walk with the Lord that some of these consequences, some of these consequences have profound ramifications and they're far-reaching. And you have to live with them for years and years. And so we don't want uh, our kids uh, to go through what we've gone through. Nevertheless, Stephanie and I know we've done everything the Lord has told us to do. We've poured our life into our kids, and we have released them into the hands of God. And it's an awesome thing to see that God is faithful, and they're much better off in His, in his hands than our hands. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Let me tell you, never make decisions about your children based on fear. Moses' mother knew the living God. She had faith in him. She knew God controlled every current that swept through that river, every beast that lived in it. He controlled the heart of uh, whoever it would be that found her child. The baby Moses we know 
was received into the arms of the daughter of Pharaoh. His mom didn't know that was going to happen. The daughter of Pharaoh delighted in uh, him. His mom didn't know that. But she released him into the hands of the living God. And, and, and God is so faithful. He'll be faithful with your kids. You know, Stephanie and I have, uh, you know, we've all our kids at one point or another are in public schools. And it's not an easy thing to do to release your kids into the public schools. There's so much uh, garbage being taught in the public schools. But you know what? There was a lot of garbage being taught in Pharaoh's court. And look at what happened to this man. I mean, you talk about a guy who was used of the Lord in the most powerful way. I mean, the land split open because of this guy. The Red Sea was parted. Water flowed from a rock. But better than anything else, the Bible says that uh, um, he, uh, Moses had a relationship with God that was unique it says in Exodus 33, 11, it says of Moses that the Lord spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. It started with what? His mother committing him to the Lord. That's where it all started. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So we may not be able to relate to Christians in Somalia or Jewish Christians in the first century who risked their lives by going, giving their lives to Christ, but we can definitely relate to Moses, can't we? Moses had choices. Moses had many choices. The court in Egypt... The Pharaoh's palace had many choices. The same kind of choices we have uh, in the United States of America. I mean, the, the court of Pharaoh, there was steamy sensuality there that took on a hundred different forms. This week in CNN, uh, they ran an article, Is Monogamy Realistic? Don't laugh. They're dead serious. Is monogamy realistic? Is a man or and woman living as husband and wife for a lifetime together realistic? I mean, no one's doing that anymore, the monogamy thing. And besides, who made this thing up? Having multiple partners is a natural thing. Never mind the consequences. In 2007, 40% of children born without parents who were married to one another. Let me tell you, God made up the monogamy thing. God made it up. Jesus said, for this reason, a man shall leave his ma uh, father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Matthew uh, 19. You know... Moses had the same kind of choices that we had. He had a thousand pearls next to the pearl of great price. Pharaoh's court was promising him one thing, 
Moses, you have the best the world has to offer. You have a life of pleasure and satisfaction right here. And God's word was promising something else. Moses knew God's word. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but who was his nanny? His biological mother. He knew the promises of God, the promise of God that was given to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Moses wrote the book of Genesis where all those promises reside. God promises, the, uh, the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob it were, were made for every generation after up to the time of Moses and after that. And what, did, what were those promises? God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What a promise. I am the one, the only one who can satisfy the longing of your soul. I am your exceedingly great reward. It's a promise that God makes to every single person in this room if you're willing to give Jesus Christ the throne room of your life. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, and, and Moses knew this was for him. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, uh, curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Moses knew that that promise had not reached its full uh, fulfillment. Moses knew through his mother that he was the beneficiary of that promise. Verse 24 says, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. There is a choice presented to you in the Word of God. A choice between the court of Pharaoh, where Pharaoh is on the throne of your heart, the world, the king of this world, or the court of the living God. The court of Pharaoh and the court of the living God. The living, court of the living God, where the living God is on the throne. And, you know, on uh, Sunday evenings, we're going through the book of Psalms, and throughout the Psalms, uh, the court of the living God is described. It's described, actually, again, throughout the Psalms. It says in Psalm 16, verse 11, you, speaking, David speaking to God, will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of, of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 84, verse 2, it says, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 6, uh, 92 says this, those who are planted in the house of the Lord 
shall flourish in the courts of our God. Psalm 100 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Once you've experienced this court, you have no interest in going back to Pharaoh's court. And that's the, by the way, that is what my prayer for my children always is. Once they've experienced the courts of the living God, they're not going to have any interest in living in the courts of Pharaoh. But we have a choice between which court we're going to reside in. By faith, it says, Moses made a decision. I'm not going to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to be a son of the living God. You know, a really interesting thing in Hebrews 11, it goes on in in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says that uh, Moses, verse 25, it says he chose, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. That word reproach means just the punishment of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And some people say, what, what's, this, what's this about Moses knowing about Jesus Christ? He did. Jesus Christ, remember he said to the Pharisees, you know, you guys look through the Scripture because in them you think you can find eternal, eternal life, but those uh, scriptures testify about me. And what we're learning on Sunday nights as we go through the Old Testament is Jesus Christ is appearing over and over and over again. He's not called Jesus Christ, but there are foreshadowings of him, types of him, illustrations of him, signs of him. And it says that the rock in the wilderness that uh, Moses spoke to, and he struck one time. In the, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it says that rock was Christ. And so um, the, the, the saints in the Old Testament knew through sort of the signs of God and, and the law of God and the dealings of God, they knew who Jesus Christ was. They didn't know his name, but they knew about his promise. The promise of God. We read one already this morning where it says um, uh, God promised Abraham through your seed, through one of your descendants, all the nations of, of the earth will be blessed, speaking of Jesus Christ. Moses knew that. And it says that he decided to forsake the courts of Egypt for the court of the living God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the only one who can fulfill the longing of your soul, Moses knew that. He's the only one who can take the guilt away, the penalty of sin. He's the only one who can bring you into an everlasting relationship with the living God.